Welcome everyone to a poetry podcast. My name is A.M. Kozak. And I'm Amanda Earl. And our podcast is generally about exploring the poetry scene in central Canada. That is sort of our byline. We still do not have an official title for our podcast, but perhaps in episode three, we will uh, have come to that conclusion by then. Um, Today, we have a special guest with us, um, very special guest with us. Um, We're going to start the podcast by doing a brief interview with him. And then he'll join us. Well, he'll stay here with us. He's already joining us. He'll stay here with us for the rest of the podcast and, uh, yeah, be be chatting along with us. So I'd like to introduce Chris Johnson. Say, say hello. Oh, do I say hello now? Say hello, Chris. Okay. He wasn't paying attention, so yeah. <laughs> we, we've already bored him. <laughs> I'd like to introduce Chris Johnson. Hello. Hello. And um, just as a brief um, introduction to who he is... He's had some work in Matrix Magazine, Parenthetical, Ottawater, Steel Chisel. He's had a bunch of um, broadsides, it looks like. One recently from Shrieking Violet Press, then some from Above Ground Press. Um, he's currently the co-coordinating editor yeah. for ARC Poetry Magazine. Former editor, former co-editor of Inwards. Um does a lot of other stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> He's always around uh, the poetry scene in Ottawa. Man travels to town. Toronto sometimes. Sorry? Yeah. That's yeah. what I do. That's what he does. And we're going to ask him a few questions. And the first question is going to be asked by Amanda, though. All right. Let's see what we've got here. So I, I guess we're going to start by talking about your writing. That makes that makes sense. Uh, you, I've, since I've known you, you've uh, since I've seen your work and heard you read at uh, various readings... You, I've noticed you have a lot of poems of all kinds of different forms. Is there like you, you've done the haibun, you, um, hazals, free verse, um, as well as prose poems? Uh, what uh, what makes prompts a, a style of poem? That's a good question. Thank you, <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> uh, I guess <clears throat> for a while um, I was. Like I started out by posting poems on on a Tumblr account. That's how I really got into writing. And the poetry that was on Tumblr was pretty much all free verse. Um, and that was kind of all I knew for a while. So after I did that and became an editor at Inwards, and since being an editor at Arc, I've... Um, I've kind of started questioning the reason for line breaks and stanza breaks. And uh, I really think that there there has to be a good reason for the form of a poem to appear. So that's kind of where, where I started. I got tired of seeing just, you know, lyrical free verse poems and uh, wanted to branch out into something else. And that's why I started doing a lot of the prose poems because uh, there was just a easier rhythm to them. It's easier, I mean, I think both of you have experimented with them as well, right? Oh yeah, lots of different kinds of things, why not? Yeah, and so, yeah. Aaron writes a lot I, of poems. I only, he only writes yeah, yeah, that, I so. Say, yeah. I've seen a few stanza poems. Yeah, those are usually the older ones. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while I'll turn one out, but uh, I like the sentence, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 
yeah, it just has a better trajectory, like a better rhythm to it, I think. Have you ever have you ever seen that essay by uh, Dennis Cooley? It's gr- really great. It's called Breaking and Entering the Line. I think it's it's a really good um, um, essay on line breaks. It's just for you every once in a while to go back to the old uh, yeah. stands of it. It's just, it really helped me understand why I wanted to have line breaks. I was mm. writing mostly prose poems, and then I, I moved back mm. into writing more um, broken up poems with enjambment and stuff like that. I Sometimes think. line breaks to me feel a bit forced, like we're just putting them in yeah. there to like put them in there when you could have the same effect, uh, a more natural rhythmic effect with having like a comma or a period or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could more be. precise, even more precise mm-hmm. break. And sometimes punctuation can ruin the poem's purity on the page, you know. Like how it looks? Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. And uh, there are other, there's lots of ways too. There are things like the way, the way, um, the way the paying attention to the breath. And so sometimes I find with prose poems, I love prose poems, but sometimes I find they're, they're, they're difficult to read aloud. Like when mm. you're just, huh. you, can, you can just read them by a sentence, but you know, like you can just, I don't know, sometimes it just depends, but I mean, they're, they're great forms. So, but uh, that's yeah. fun. That's a fun. Uh, that's a fun conversation. I have to try it out. I'll have to re- reread that essay. We can maybe talk about line breaks sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like I've been in, uh, recommended that essay before, either by you or maybe Rob McLennan or someone, yeah. and I just didn't get around to it. Like I want to say that there's no reason to have line breaks ever, but yes, recently, really recently, I've been looking at line breaks in a new light, seeing how enjambment can be interesting and and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think it just it, it just with, with me it just depends on um, the the poem itself, like what what right. it's needing to do. There's I mean, there's there's a lot of great uh, and also who you're reading, right? Like I find um, if I'm reading someone who's really good at prose poems, like uh, then I want to write a prose poem just <laughs> just in you know if I'm if I'm listening to song lyrics, you know, or listen to a song, maybe I want to write more like that. Yeah, no, yeah, that's it. That's true. Yeah, what about the hybrid? That's a, that's a specific. That's a kind of like a prose, a kind of a prose poem in a way. Can you talk about your hybrid and also what ex- you, can you have an explanation for what it sort of is, what it is? Yeah, sort of. Um, it started as um as an experiment actually it started as a project instead of writing an essay for a course that i was taking on the canadian long poem Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> uh it was a course by professor brenda valino at carlton and one of the assignment assigned readings was um this dendrite map by fred waugh it's a long poem that appears in uh shoot one of his books. One of his books. Waiting for Saskatchewan. Well, well, Something maybe. like that. Maybe. Um, anyway, this this Haibun uh, that he writes is, or Haibun that he writes is different from like the traditional. And he he uh, has really, it's talking about his parents, his mother and father, and talking a lot about his heritage. And there's not a lot of travel. There's not a lot of concrete ground, really. Um, but just a lot of like remembering and paying homage to and all that stuff. So that's where I first encountered the Haibun form and I liked it because it it was like a new thing to me. Like I said about the seeing a lot of lyric free verse was getting old. So seeing this prose poem style was interesting. So from there, I was writing them as a way to like meditate on a local 
situation of the self and um, how you interact with the people around you and the environment around you. And from there, I started reading Basho's old stuff and, and wanted to bring in more about the travel narrative to the prose poem part of it, whether that means traveling to somewhere in your mind or traveling somewhere physically. I don't know. It's, that's kind of where I'm. I find with the high buns, because the, the, um, the end part, the haiku, yeah, it stands out visually so much on the page that a lot more attention is allocated to that when you're reading it to the rest of the poem. So that 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 point that part of the poem is like extra important, I guess, because hmm. there's more attention focused on it. So I think sometimes if that part of the poem like, it has to be really strong, or else like you see right. that if I'm if I'm reading a high bun, I, I see that part, and if it's you if might it's just not skip strong, it, you might just sort of exactly, and then by. it's just the whole poem then would be kind of like severely weakened if I really didn't connect with that mm -hmm. um, with, with the haiku part. So. It's an interesting form, but I also think it's it's one that to be very careful with, I guess, in a way. Well, you have when to you be careful with them all. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's true. Especially careful with that part of the high bun. <laughs> when you think about Basho's original use of the high bun or high boon, it was just like actually his if you ever read the narrow road to the interior, yeah. it's actually his travel journal. It, it's not yeah. the prose isn't fluffy at all. It's not pro, uh, poetic really. It's literally his his journal entries and then it's kind of like um yeah it's just filler text i don't want to say filler text some of it's really good actually i really like a lot of it but it gets you to the next haiku because mm, that's, that's what he was i wish i could remember when i was reading the martyrology bp nichols martyrology he he talked mm. about a form that was a combination of prose and poetry and he kind of invented a name for it. It was really great. I, I'll, I'll make, for hmm. the next podcast, my assignment will be to look this up. And if I remember, I will. I will uh, tune I will in next time. Tune in. We have. We have now. We have a cliffhanger. Yeah. A poetic cliffhanger. <laughs> I, I wanted to say that I, I just recently started reading uh, the Ocean Vong book that uh, that is the talk of the town, not our town. Every 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 sort of. North American town, night sky with exit wounds, and he's got some really great highbun in there. Hmm. I mean, they're 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 actually um, they're page stopping highbun. Hmm. And uh, one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't have that end end haiku line. And I I feel like it's in the text, but not as an end line. Right. So maybe that would be. I would I, I highly recommend the book anyway. We'll, we'll talk about books later. But um, one thing about form, the fun for me is always um, learning about the form, but then then distorting it like for the first when i was starting to write hazals i, I wrote bastard hazals that's right that's how i <laughs> and i was just fun and or anti hazals and so it's it, like and sonnets you kind of fiddle around with sonnet forms and yeah things like that so yeah like like mcgimsey's chubby sonnets yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah i've been calling my high boon stumbly high boon see that i think that's great so. I, I think the word stumble should be in all like all the poems that i write because that way it's easier to write them when you don't feel like you have to have <laughs> Every word I write must be perfect. Right. I can't do it, you know. So no, you I just know stumble I upon a phrase. Yeah. And exactly. Do you guys normally play with form when you're kind of bored or something like that? Like <laughs> to change it up? Because I find that once I've gotten comfortable writing a certain way, it's, it's a lot faster now. If I sit down to write and I have, you know, X amount of minutes to write, if I already have, like I write prose poems mostly, so if I already have that in my mind, the, the form I'm, that I'm gonna be taking, it's a lot faster and easier to get the words out because I have that frame sort of, I mm -hmm. guess. 
already. So when I find if I were to ex if I were to experiment with something else, even as something as as small as line breaks, it would it would be it would take a lot more time. It would definitely slow my mental energy down. What do you guys think about that? Is that when you normally use form to mix it up, or is it just come out that way? Um, I've had a couple of different experiences with sitting down saying I'm going to write a poem in this form mm -hmm. and yeah it does slow down the process a lot but I don't think that that's a problem necessarily it is you don't have a lot of time well yeah that that's true yeah you, ha you have to sit down with a chunk of time yeah. to say today I'm gonna write a sonnet these will be my rhyming structures and yeah it, it does yeah it's not as easy as free verse but I think that's also or as prose poems or as prose poems yeah, yeah. But I, with, with me, it, there's a lot of different reasons why. Sometimes a poem just has to be in that form. Like I once spent, spent three months learning and writing sonnets. And I wrote, I wrote only three sonnets because uh, the poems needed to be in that form. And they, they weren't rhyming sonnets, but they were, they still, I had to, I had to do them in that form. But other times, like for instance, sometimes I do a haiku. I do haiku when I, when I'm dealing with writer's block, because mm -hmm. what happens to me is I know it's going to kill me to what happens. I will rebel. I will say, no, it need, I'll, I'll want to write more. And so it helps me to get out of that. Also, mm. depending on the form, like if I'm really working on trying to get better at minimalism, then I want to write poems that have as few words as possible. I will try to write in certain forms. And sometimes it's just, it's just for a pure exploration and amusement. But I mean, I have, I have time to devote to, um, Whatever, and then the other thing too is, um, I know people who will often uh, write even free verse. They'll start at first, they'll write chunks of prose, and then they'll divide it after. Yeah. So that's a common form for. So if you want to, if you still want to work in free verse or in some form, but you want to uh, get it all down, sure, get it all down and just just then chunk it up into little pieces and add it to the stew, and you know, add yeah. a little wine, and you're all set. Yeah. But that's. Uh, yeah, I do also like applying a form to something, mm -hmm. something that I've written that I think is like, okay, but maybe not quite there. You can sometimes look for some yeah. sort of form to it, even if it's just some kind of rhyme scheme and then alter the the text to yeah. make it work. It can be I think that can, process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it can really improve a thing. It can also really ruin oh, a thing. Oh, it can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I especially, I, often if I have an idea in my head that I want to write, like sometimes especially like a really serious form, like a pantoum or a villanelle or a yeah. sestina. I mean, I do love those forms. But when I try to write them, it's so hokey. Sometimes <laughs> I, I end up taking out like one or two lines and just using those lines and beginning over with a with a poem. And, hmm. and, and then sometimes it just I write often um, chapbook length or book length poems. So or poem series. So sometimes it's just that um, it's a big thing. And sometimes I want to divide it in different ways. So I want to have I have balance. Sometimes I want to have some prose poems and some some free verse poems or some right. some variety so it, there's a lot of different reasons some of them are pure aesthetics and some of them mm -hmm. are just uh it's like doing a sudoku or something a reason for you know exercising the brain yeah so, yeah before we move on to the next question i wanted to pick up something that you mentioned earlier chris about tumblr um and you said that's how you were kind of starting with uh, publishing poems would you say that Tumblr was like a way into you appreciating poetry or was were you already really into poetry and then just you had this this medium to to express it? Uh, that's a great question, Aaron. Thank <laughs> you for asking that. I like how he says that when he wants to think about stall things. Stall for a time. <laughs> obviously stall for time. Yeah. Um, 
was to Tumblr wasn't an introduction for poetry. It was an introduction for a lot of different uh, writers. Okay. But it was more um, a platform for writing and getting in uh, quick feedback on it. Okay. So not an introduction to poetry in general, but maybe maybe increasing the amount of which when of of poetry you're consuming and producing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it definitely opened my eyes too, because that's the great thing about Tumblr is you can't control what you see. You just follow a ton of people, and you can unfollow the porn when they start to follow. Like because what happens to me is like <laughs> porn people follow me, and I have to un well because I don't want to you know anyway. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, or you can follow it whenever you like. Yeah, so yeah, every once in a while it was it was nice to see like um new names of like actually published writers rather than um tumblr writers actually posting a poem that was really striking and that introduced me to some new things okay. at a time where i didn't have much idea of where to find new writing or new poets to experience so it's a good medium for you to access yeah poetry then. okay cool <clears throat> um with a few more questions for you uh the next question you are currently the coordinating editor of Arc Poetry Magazine. And I think that a lot of people have no idea what that means. <laughs> so, and I only have a vague idea what that means, really. So why don't you tell us about what sort of things that you do as a coordinating editor? That's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> I think it's good information to kind of know, like, how magazines... People are interested in how magazines work, how journals work. Yeah, I guess so. The guts. Tell us what yeah, the guts. they don't talk for like ten minutes about it. Like, <laughs> so that's basics. the thing. Like you, you really could. If you want to get down to the minutia of editing, then you know it. It gets tedious. But so yeah, my my position is really to um, be the cogs behind the machine and make everything run smoothly. So what people will find most interesting about Arc is that there there isn't like a huge board. There isn't. Uh, like a big office where we operate there's really just like a small group of people that that select all the content and and make the magazine appear in print so i'm the person that makes the magazine appear more or less uh so you're the magician i'm the magician <laughs> how do you do that well so monty reed and i monty reed is the managing editor uh we are like the two driving forces he is like the guy behind the money and the like business side of the details of the magazine. And I'm more like, um, I'm more like the supervisor of the store that like makes sure the staff is doing their job and the readers have poems that they are like submissions that they are reading through. I, uh, do a lot of overseeing the production and that's, that's about it like, like scheduling and, and things like that yeah and yeah exactly i tell the poetry editor when they need to select the final poetry content and the prose editor when they need to select the final essays and all that sort of thing you send the stuff to the printer all that kind of stuff too yep so when so it gets you down coordinate stuff i coordinate stuff like <laughs> that's when it gets down to it that's <laughs> uncoordinates things uh-huh yeah, the the other thing too is I I believe I've received an acceptance email uh, from Arc the one time I I was published and it came from you so yeah I, you're involved in in letting um, poets or uh, contributors know about their acceptances and 
uh, asking for more information if you need to. Or Yeah, I have the bittersweet job of being the operating body behind submittables. Oh, yeah. You're, our, you're submittable. Yeah, I, I am that person who sends out all of the rejections and all of the acceptances, and I enjoy one far more than the other. Yeah, yeah, it's always fun. <laughs> With ByWords, it's it's all automated, so I don't have to. There was there was a time when I used to have to send out 30 rejection emails, and it crushed me. I, I didn't want to have to do that, so now we just right. press, a, press, a, press a button, and they all go out at once. <laughs> what Chris was saying, though, is actually that the rejections are the parts he likes better. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. See, I tricked you into that. You did. No, yeah. no, that's not true. Yeah. That's a, suddenly, I've lost all my my. <coughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Fine. All right. So yeah. So coordinator of arc. Okay. We we just talked. To, are you? Do you want to talk more about that, or you have more to ask? Um. Not really. No. Maybe later. Maybe See? something will oh, pop Okay. Up. Wait. One more thing. What is the most <coughs> tedious part of the job that you can you can you like out of a job of of being on a magazine like that you can think of like just for those of you at home who you want to be discouraged who, from yes magazine. need to have your dreams dashed here. Let's ask Chris to do it for you. Something I don't know if I've like the most tedious work is. Um, is actually right. I I have to write all the contracts for everyone. Oh yeah. Oh. So it's like a lot of the work is tedious, I guess. But really, the tedious, most tedious work is what a glorified data entry person would do. Yeah, it's repetitive. Where it's yeah. like there's a form contract, and I put in the person's name, and then put in the yeah. title of their poem, and that's it. That's yeah. it. And I have to do that thirty to forty or fifty times every issue. That would be boring. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. So if you can avoid having to do that job, dear listeners, <laughs> then you join can. a magazine. But if you have to do that, steer clear. All right. So uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Tumblr already. And uh, I was going to say that I, ha I haven't seen any... Um, any, I haven't seen any poems from you on Tumblr in some time. Is, was there a reason? Are you just busy or you have other reasons <laughs> why, you, why you stopped doing that? Yeah, busy, I guess, could be part of it. It could be a part of, well, I, I was, was leading witness there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. Um, I would say that when I was posting a lot on Tumblr, I was at a time where writing came really easily to me. And uh, I mean, it was 20 something in university. And, you know, when you're that age and working maybe a part-time job and just at in school you i found myself with a lot of time maybe other people don't Let's have you're still 20 something don't don't confuse the i mean early 20 something <laughs> okay. like early 20s uh so yeah that's that's where i came into writing on and posting poems on that wonderful blogging site tumblr uh so when the writing is pouring out of you, but I don't know if this is like a, a, co a comment on how busy I am now or how I approach my writing now, but it doesn't come as easily to me anymore. I can't sit down every time and say, I'm going to write a poem and here, here it, it is. is. Yeah. And uh, maybe I'm thinking too much about the content of it or the yeah. form of it or something. And uh, that's why I stopped posting on Tumblr because I, I really treasure the poems that do come out when I find the time yeah, they're, they're and more, the energy to write. Rare. Exactly. Do you, do you find you're more self-critical when you're writing now? Like you're, you're conscious about what you're saying as you're saying it and thinking about that? I think so. Yeah. I think I approach every opportunity I get to write with the mindset that I, I want to 
make it a comment on something that I find important or um, experimenting with something that is different to me. So that's that is lim like it is kind of frightening in a way and probably yeah, self-censoring. Maybe just a block, but so you're saying because you you write less, you treasure the poems you do write and don't want to publish those um, online necessarily or publish them through yourself. Is that related also to they have? Do you have different feelings now about self-publishing than you did before, perhaps, or is that kind of related to to that at all, or is that a or do you still would you still be into self-publishing if you produce more material? <laughs> I guess, I guess it is related to self-publishing and it isn't. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with self-publishing, with posting things on Tumblr or, or putting out like your own chat book, making a object yourself and sending it around. Like zine culture in Ottawa is really great. And a lot of people are really ma are making really interesting zines that have really great writing in them. And I wouldn't discount that as being uh, less important than the, uh, actual publishers or chapbook publishers who are selecting writers. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. Well, I think you were you were setting yourself up to say, but yeah, this I is was. why I don't self-publish. Um, yeah, that's that is what I was going to do. Thanks for no problem. steering Thanks me back for on course. The rhetorical device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the but I guess would be um, about my personal experience with publishing on online on a blog was uh, was just an introduction to writing. I, I look back and see that period of posting a lot of poems on Tumblr as being a time where I was finding myself as a writer. So, so I don't want to sound uh, crass or anything, but I wasn't a good writer or as good of a writer back then as I think I am now. But we grow, right? And exactly. We get better. My first chapbook I like to forget about. So. <laughs> and so many people say that. They like yeah, look yeah. back on their first publication and they say, oh, don't read most of those poems. There's one in that that I would like. Yeah. It's worse when they're also online as well. So right. Because they never go away, no matter what you do. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be different when, like, five years from now, for example, when you look back at your writing now and you're like, oh, five years ago, I was writing whatever. I don't like it anymore. I don't know. I really don't know if that's, like, once in a while I'll think about Daphne Marlad or, like, Leonard Cohen and wonder if they're, like, yeah, as self-conscious of their previous writing as, say, you and I are. Uh, or if they look back and think, oh, that was just an experiment with a different type of writing or a different idea that I had in my head. They probably wouldn't disown it, maybe. I don't know. Well, a lot of times, too, um, after a writer or after a, an artist or something has, has died, they all their stuff, like even their stuff from, like I know Sylvia Plath had a bunch of juvenilia published in one of her books. And uh, I mean, it's too late for her. She can't really complain about it. You know? <laughs> They're like little rhyming poems and stuff like that. But everything oh, yeah. about, because the writer is famous, everything yep. that they've done is is treated as important and, and we're just glad that it, that we can have. So, you know, I mean, if you th mm -hmm. try to think of it that way, well, maybe it, maybe it wasn't my best work, but, you know, maybe there was a little seed in there that can be 
the influences can be traced that, that I now write these amazing prose poems and that that's where sort of some of the right. scenes documentary kind of thing maybe I think there's also a hump you get over after you start writing and taking it I guess somewhat seriously after I'm not sure how long maybe a few years but if you work at a craft for a few years then I think maybe you get to some kind of bench benchmark level where you're not cringing necessarily every time you read something that you yeah. wrote after you pack past that benchmark but if you look at your stuff that you wrote when you first started writing or started practicing writing a lot, then you're probably maybe more, maybe cringing more often. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can cringe at something. I, I often still find it nerve wracking to um, see any work of mine published. And I, I always think it could be like, I look at it and go, Oh God, why did they accept that? You know? So I, I have hmm. a few exceptions like my, my book Kiki. I still, I still feel fond of that one, but often once it's published, I hate it. <laughs> I really hate it. So keep it off there. As long. I, I, I actually uh, still um, share a lot of poems on Tumblr. I'm always, uh, I, I, I do it for a lot of different reasons, but uh, yeah, I, I, I still do that. I might edit them later on and mm-hmm. if I'm going to send them out anywhere, I have to either take them off or just change them a lot. But uh, right. Yeah. So, cause a lot of, a lot of magazines and, um, you know, journals and stuff don't like um, you to have uh, stuff up on your blog if you're going to, yeah, exactly. For it, which is understandable. That is understandable. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, shall we move on to the second last question we have? All right. All right. So, Chris, you were part of uh, Carlton's inaugural creative writing camp for kids, and now you're facilitating the Tree Reading Series Poetry Workshops. What inspires you to get involved in literary community outreach, and what was it like to work with budding young poets? Budding young poets. Budding young poets. I guess you could call them that, yeah. Very young in the creative writing camps, but... (laughs) It was like eight to ten and like cool. ten to twelve or something like that. Um both of those positions kind of fell into my lap. Um the organizer of the Carl of Carlton's creative writing or organizer, he was organizing it for the first year, but he's moved away, so I don't know who's taken over now. Anyway, it was a PhD student um who I kind of knew. Uh and he was looking for, he started the the creative writing camps at Carleton as being a way for kids to learn from actual writers in uh, poetry, uh, uh, prose, short stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was storytelling and uh, comics, visual arts and stuff. So, so he got a bunch of people that he knew as being writers of those different genres. Mm -hmm. And I was the only poet he knew, I guess, (laughs) or the only one he thought that would actually agree to this position (laughs) to do this thing. Um, And with, with tree and the, the tree workshops, Pearl was stepping down and I'm not quite sure why she asked me, but I, into a number of them. Yeah, and you were you were you were probably going to a lot of the workshops or, or even the reading series right yeah. around. And yeah, I mean, it, I, I for a while and even still, I just went to way too many <laughs> workshops and reading series in town. So, yeah. so you were showing up in the right places, and then you were you were asked. Yeah, that's the the short answer, I guess. The but to comment on what you're saying about like working with young writers or working with other writers in general and 
facilitating workshops and stuff. I think everyone needs to find a way or find like an entry point into exploring new and different styles and forms of writing. And I'm more than happy to try and help and share what I know and what experiences I've got. Uh, and I'll do that as long as the opportunities keep coming. That point you made about um, you're going to a lot of workshops and then Pearl asking you to to be the facilitator and knowing the PhD student who is running these these workshops. I think that ties in a lot to the second part of this, the question I wanted to ask you, and it's that you're, you attend a lot of uh, literary events around the city. Um, what makes you, what drives you to, to do that? And what do, you, what do you get from it? Why do you keep coming back? There's something really lively about most poetry events or literary events or just any event. I think just lively. going, yeah, lively. You might go and see that it's like a room of uh, people sitting down and, and chatting quietly amongst themselves. But I think... Like we're doing now. Yeah, like we're doing now. <laughs> if you um, really pay attention to the work that people mm -hmm. are sharing, then every once in a while you'll either hear something new or really interesting that won't be in a magazine somewhere or in a chapbook anywhere mm -hmm. and might not even ever show up on like in a manuscript in a published book. Mm -hmm. So, so I think it's that possibility that brings me out to things. The possibility of hearing interesting work and work by people that I wouldn't normally seek out myself. Yeah. You, you won't find people at the inwards reading series, uh, who are largely students, you won't find their chapbooks appearing probably uh, from... Not and, at first. Yeah, actually. not at first. Yeah. So these are opportunities to to experience what's like fresh and, and raw and really at the forefront of what people want to experiment with and write about. How much of it is is the work itself and hearing that and how much of it is a sense of community that you get just by interacting with other people who are interested in poetry and who are in, in, interested in going out to these events and, 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 you know, having fun with their friends? Well, that's a bonus. It's a bonus? You wouldn't say that's the main thing that's like a, sec a tertiary sort of side thing? Once you know enough people... Uh, people who are active in the poetry scene <laughs> get sick of seeing each other. <laughs> Go to verse fest, for instance, right? Like you say, I, I know I always make the point that by day three I've run out of small talk. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I that's I'm actually <laughs> what I was actually going to say was that every time someone's reading and at a thing, and I know them personally, I feel that's responsible nice. to, you know, go and support those acts that I know and yeah you want to support your friends and colleagues yeah and the other people who are writing poetry exactly mm -hmm. um but the community aspect of I think a lot of reading series have been like have found a great community and have uh allowed it to be bustling and like really lively um for a while inwards was uh a really fun place to go and yeah. sit and read and like listen to the people talking who would stay after the readings or who would just chat with a drink in the breaks. Now sawdust is a really interesting place yeah. to, mm -hmm. to meet up with people and chat with them before and after the reading. 
So if the reading series is doing a good job at curating a good set of readers, then then you'll get other interesting people showing up mm. in the in the audience and that can be really interesting you think as well. the social comes from the the curation and then from the interesting work happening and then the social thing sort of sprouts from that and becomes more of a community environment probably that's good that's actually a really good uh, point yeah that is a good point yeah. i think about that way because yeah. I really like the community aspect of going out to going out to events and just being around people who have similar interests and like hanging out and like having a good time talking about poetry. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I was. Yeah, I agree with that. But also lately I've I mean, there was a time where I had a group of friends that would just always show up to yeah, the you, same you, readings. Yeah, you make sure that you at least know a few people there mm -hmm. to hang out with. Yeah. yeah. But uh, after a period of di different people leaving yeah. the city or. Yeah, uh, just the bastards. No, yeah, <laughs> the, the bastards <laughs> come back. They do sometimes. Yeah, the few people that are still around, they'll say, "Oh, I really want to go to this specific event at Tree," or "I won't really go to this event at Tree because I don't know the readers so well." So mm -hmm. I think that's that's where I've gained that uh, insight into how important the actual um, curation of the readers is mm -hmm. for every reading series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Shall we move on to the last last? We have one more question. We should. All right. We, we um. So when sometimes when you're a feature or you're you're uh, reading an open mic, you sometimes don't read your own work. Sometimes you share cover poems. That's true. Uh, and particularly poems by women. What made you do this? And are you going to do it more? Or why Why not? I'm definitely going to do it more. Good. I like it. <laughs> I like it too. Um. And I was really, I've been thinking a lot about this. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Avonlea about it recently. And it's, it's a very strange thing to think about. I think it's natural for people to want to cover other writers' work. I mean, musicians yeah. cover yeah. other musicians all the time tree used to have it as part of the series actually they used to have something in the summer called a midsummer night's tree huh. out at strathcona park and it was all covers mm. like it was great I, I read sylvia plath under that big giant tree in strathcona park right it's a cool thing huh when you first said that i thought you were going to talk about the schrodinger's cat oh no i, feature that's right. I forgot tree. about that yeah they had that part too which was not just talking they didn't just read poems they also uh, a, a poet would talk about the person's work yeah, that's right. I I'd forgotten all about that. That's right. Yeah, that later. I thought that was a really interesting feature. I mean, I know, yeah, it wasn't perfect, uh, but I thought that was a really interesting feature when they had it. Right. Um. So my approach to doing cover poems when I when I get a feature set is, um, I mean, just being an editor and a publisher, I've spent a lot of time selecting other people's work that I think yeah. deserves uh, some attention and I want to say anything about yeah I don't want to be like the the guy sitting on the throne saying what's good and what's not but I just like the idea of having an opportunity to to share knowledge or just to experience like something that you haven't experienced before um how much does the venue or the reading series dictate the poem that you select to read, the cover poem you select to read? How much does your audience dictate that? 
when you're thinking I about guess. greed? Ooh, that's a good question. It is. I was just thinking how great that question was. <laughs> no I have a specific you... example in mind that I'll bring up to you after uh, yeah. you answer this question. <laughs> well, I guess um, for just to talk about the experiences or the times that I have done cover poems, I guess the first big one was when I did... Um, bp nichols yeah. what is a poem that's the first one i think that was the first big one you did oh, i think you've done other ones before that yeah. but that was in january Maybe. before january was october, that blue november? monday that was october last year yeah mm-hmm. and i i definitely did choose to do that that poem in front of that crowd very particularly because i didn't think that many people would have mm-hmm. ha- had experienced bp nickel before <coughs> so uh yeah i thought that would be like an interesting venue to let these university students have a different experience with poetry that they probably have never had before or thought to experience in poetry before so that was that was a blue mondays reading series at the university of ottawa cafe nostalgica which mm-hmm. is, is that coming back this year oh yeah okay good it's going to be in its Sixth or seventh season. Excellent. Hmm. Yeah. Says so one of the founders of the series. <laughs> yeah, sitting across the table there. Um, the one I was thinking of, I remember that one because I really, really like that poem. But it's funny you say you didn't think they would be um, exposed to it because I was exposed to that poem in an undergraduate English class at the University of Ottawa for the first time. And that's how, huh. that's how I know of it. There you um, go. But the, the other time I saw you perform at Blue Monday's uh, I think it was like a showcase, maybe their showcase night. You did a few poems or maybe, yeah, I think that's right, like uh, in the spring. And you did um, a sneezing poem. Um, sneezing poem. You uh, chewed a lot. Oh, the that was the um, the fish poem. Yeah, and that was particularly... The fish reason- poem, sneeze poem, I'm confused. <laughs> sneezing fish poem? I can't remember the title poem. of it right now, but it's by David W. And Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So... I thought that was, I remember watching you do that poem and it's a very loud poem. Really? Uh, it's a lot of uh, loudly, or, or Chris does a loudly anywhere where you choose very loudly. And our Blue Mondays, if you've ever been or, or, or know of, can imagine an undergraduate uh, reading series. It's a lot of people there aren't necessarily there for the reading or don't know what to expect. And they can be talking during during the yes. shows in the corners. Yeah. And so Chris gets up there and he starts <laughs> very loudly going like sne- fake sneezing like several times throughout the it's poem. ouch you oh sorry ouch ouch, ouch. Yeah. it sounded like you were sneezing <laughs> um he says ouch um and i remember thinking that's so smart because what it yeah. did is it caused Drop everyone yeah. to now pay attention to chris and then for at least a little bit you have the audience and that can be a very difficult audience to captivate so whereas you might if you're in somewhere like tree and people are already very already paying attention, attention that yeah. you might actually be like, oh my, they might be like, oh my goodness, like overwhelmed with, with the loudness. But when you have a bunch of semi-drunk uh, undergrads, <laughs> not maybe half paying attention largely. Hell bent on hooking up and not really that interested yeah, in poetry. Then all of a sudden <laughs> yes. you, you do, you, you hook them. You right. Them. I don't know why I thought you were pole. sneezing. It looked like you were sneezing the way you're presenting it perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> you, I was very animated in the, yes. the ouching. Yeah, so were you thinking about that when you chose that poem? Were you thinking, like, these kids are going to be talking? Definitely. I have to, yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. I just previously performed that uh, Salmon River Soliloquy, I think is the title of it. Oh, that's a great title. Um, 
opposed I, to the sneezing fish poem. Yeah, the sneezing fish poem is part two. Maybe a, also a great poem that <laughs> we someone have hasn't to write it. Yeah. Uh, so I just recently performed that at a, an event in Toronto at the EW series that I was at. So I kind of had it in my back pocket, okay. and that was one of the things. I'm sure spoken word artists can can speak to this yeah. uh, better by like sensing the room and knowing, like just having something that yeah. they know and know will captivate the audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, if you can hook them right away, then they will pay attention to you. If you mm -hmm. if you if you don't hook them right away, it's very You've hard. Kind of like mm -hmm. lost, them, lost for the them. Whole time. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're, they're composing their shopping lists or whatever. And I think that speaks well to the reason that you do cover poems is yeah. like once you know a poem or a a piece that you're performing can get a certain reaction from someone, then like once you have this stuff in your back pocket, then yeah. you can be a more diverse performer. You can have these things that will engage different. Uh, aspects or different uh, uh, areas of the audience than than your normal writing would probably yeah. reach into. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I don't necessarily think that just applies to cover poems, though. I think no, you can do it with your own your work. whole set, yeah, yeah. right? Can be you can think about the audience, but I you think it's be, yeah. it's easier to have that range with a cover poem because it's something that maybe you don't write like that at all. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it produces yeah. some variety as well. Yeah, exactly. Plus, it gives you a chance to perform or, or read something that's not the type of thing you would do, which mm -hmm. is a stretch for you, like. When I saw you do the BP Nickel poem, I'd never seen you do anything like that before. And I was really blown away. Like, hmm. I mean, I actually watched the Instagram video after. It's like, whoa, <laughs> look at this. I like, was watching it again. I showed it to, to my husband, you know, everything, you know. So, right. no, it was really impressive. And it was very different from the way you read, uh, you did read at that point. Do you think those poems also somehow had an influence on your writing or even your reading in public at all? Like, just. They've definitely had yeah. an influence on my reading in public. Yeah. yeah. I've noticed you use more sound more and more sound as you've done more and more covers yeah i yeah i've haven't been able to write my own sound or experimental poems that i've really been happy with up to this point so i think covering those poems and adding that into the set list is really nice but i'd say even like within your own work like the concentration on sound i hear when i hear you read i can i notice a difference from before since since you started uh, doing sound uh, covering poems that were very sound oriented, hmm. just an observation. Anyway. <laughs> Do we have any more questions? No, we're probably like this is probably the longest interview of all time. Yeah. So we probably, <laughs> probably go stop. to the next next. Oh. Hello again. Um, we're back. <laughs> the interview and like. Quite a bit longer than we anticipated, but that's okay because we I think we had like good fruitful discussion. So uh, we'll probably like trim a little bit of the second half of our podcast, so we're not talking forever because I don't think anyone's gonna be listening to the very end if we keep talking forever. Although you never know, maybe you. You can always fast forward. You can always fast forward, and like sometimes <laughs> I put podcasts on when I'm going to sleep, and I don't know, maybe that's what take, you do too. Or take a break, have a bath, or. Anyway, uh, the next section is uh, recent events, which is um, something I love talking about events, as we sort of discussed earlier in the interview, the whole community thing. Um, did you go to any interesting events first, Amanda, before I before I list off a bunch of events that happened this past month? Two things. Uh, yeah, we were all at this, actually. The, the last Sawdust reading with J.C. Bouchard and Sarah McDonald. J.C. Yes. Bouchard is now living in Toronto, and Sarah is uh, recently... 
I think from California. Yes, she just moved here from California. Yeah, and and both it was really a very powerful. Uh, both of them, I really enjoyed both their work. I I like. Uh, I'm very. I'm a big fan of uh, J. C. Bouchard. Um, yeah. uh, and Sarah was a was a surprise. I always love it. One of the things I love about Ottawa is that suddenly we get this new, a work new person that we've never seen before, and they're like really talented. It's like it's, mm-hmm. it's good. So, Afterwards, so I yeah. liked her so much that I asked if she wanted to do a chapbook with N words this year. Excellent. So now we're doing. Uh, I already mentioned Angel House Press, but I, I got I got her first. <laughs> so I'll be I'll be editing her. Excellent. Book. That's wonderful. That's really great. Her work her work was interesting. She she uh, was primarily reading excerpts from a long poem that had to do with um, it had a kind of a medical side as well as a kind of a ge- geo- geological side if, I, right. if my memory serves, and it was just so fascinating. And it was it was excerpts from a long poem. People often don't read stuff from long poems at readings because it can it can get hard to. Mm-hmm. I have bored readers to death by reading a lo- one long poem for half an hour. <laughs> I, people actually walked out. So yeah, oh, I don't no. do that anymore. I read smaller bits and stuff. She did a great job. I, th- I think the key, one of the keys to it still maintaining my my attention is that she used a lot of uh, repetition, yeah, like refrains, and yeah. also um, she changed like the loudness with which with with which she was speaking yeah, so she varied her tone she varied her tone yeah, and it sounded did. like i imagine like parentheses in certain places like mm-hmm. i don't know if she has them or not but that's what i was kind of imagining and like it was it was a lot of changes in the in the long poems which i think helped yeah. helps keeps your attention that's it and, the, and then uh, jc bouchard read and he i mean he's it's really interesting as a person he is um he stays pretty quiet and then when he's he's um on stage uh, his poems are extremely powerful. He's They're very, very visceral poems, and I've seen I've I've um, been following him since he was uh, first uh, reading his work, sharing his work. I think we published one of his early poems through Bywords um, mm-hmm. many uh, well several years ago, and so I like one of the things I like is to be able to see how a person grows over mm-hmm. time. Uh, you said something about a poem that, uh, or was it you? You know, Chris, you were talking before about uh, a poem of his that kind of. Um, influenced him in his uh, yeah he's he's just told me on yeah. a couple of occasions that he has a poem i have a fist which i think is on yeah. a it's on a online magazine somewhere you could probably google jc bouchard and i have a fist and every time he reads that poem it's just it's gut-wrenching he knows how to take a hold of his listener when he's reading and like just have them in the palm of his hands so that, he said, on numerous occasions, has really changed his style to this intense reading that mm-hmm. has, yeah, kind of followed him th- since then. He's also very, very musical with his delivery. That's um, a good point. Yeah, which I, yeah. which I like. It hooks me. It hooks me. I've, he's been in a lot of interesting stuff the past year, year and a half. I keep seeing his, his, uh, his stuff in, in, oh, in yeah. a lot of interesting magazines. Puritan. He's been in, in a, lot of, a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. He will be in Experiment O. A magazine that I put out through Angel House Press that will it will come out in November. He's got poems and also some visual poetry. So oh, cool. He way. has this, yeah, and he has this poem in um, B After C. Um, what is what is it called? It's like can drug use be used as a romantic activity oh, yeah. with your friend or something? <laughs> yeah. And I remember when I saw the title of that poem, I was like, I felt like that's a if you ever are familiar with OK Cupid, they ask you a whole bunch of these questions. Yeah, they do. And that's <laughs> one of them. That's and funny. I read yeah. that and I felt like I was in on some kind of seeker because I got it. You know, I was yeah. like, oh, that's from OK Cupid. So like, I, I was drawn that's in right. like immensely, right? So like, huh. oh, this is an OK Cupid poem. I didn't know that that's where that was from. Uh, that's where it's from. <laughs> huh. um, well, they ask a lot of ridiculous questions. They do. 
you. That's a particularly interesting one, though. Yeah. Um, an interesting event I went to, although it's not poetry, I went to a, a like a theater thing in Kingston inside of a record store, and it was by this theater company called uh, The Cellar Door, and they do events about a space inside of that space. So it was a play about the record store inside of the record store. And you're actually following around the actors inside the space as they're acting. Huh. So it's, very it's very interesting. <laughs> like, and you're like, well, like, how do you do Like, I don't want to get in their way. Like it's, it's kind of a weird, like mix of like sort of reality, but also like a play, which I hmm. thought was really interesting. It's just sort of like a way to think about when you're a presentation or a performance and like how the audience is involved. And like, that's really recognizing like a lot of attention to the space and to your audience in, in that play that I saw, which I think is so, so applicable to like, to, to poetry and all, all types of performances to, hmm. to think about, think about space in your audience. Like yeah, that. that's true. I don't think a lot, like really a lot of poetry readings were just standing in, in front of a podium and, it's 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 sometimes. I mean, I I don't mind going to readings where it's like that, but sometimes it's nice to have something a little different, you know, mm-hmm. interactive. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think we can we can learn something from our yeah. our friends in theater. Mm-hmm. Did you go to anything else this month, Amanda? Before I list off there, a bunch of stuff that I didn't actually go to, but there's something sure. weird that I, I I well weird. It's it's not really for readers, but it's for writers. I did this thing, um, an online. I participated in an online event called Can Lit Pit. It was for um, pitching your oh, yeah. work to various publishers. So and th- on Twitter, and so you had you had uh, from ten in the morning till ten p.m. to send out six tweets that were 140 characters or less about the work that you wanted to you wanted to get published. And there were there were um, I mean it wasn't primarily for poetry. There were a lot of other things. Picture books was a big uh, was a big uh, really? type, and there was also young adult fiction and uh women's fiction and things like that but they there were at least four maybe five uh poetry publishers so i thought i thought i would try it i have a manuscript that um i'm not very good about self-promotion but i really thought it would be there's sometimes i have work that i want to fight for because i feel like i want it to be out there for various reasons in this case i've read some of this work and everyone I've had a lot of good reaction. It had to do with my health crisis. And also a lot of people have experienced some of the things that I've experienced and it helps mm-hmm. them sometimes to, to read. So I really, I've been fighting for this manuscript and haven't had a lot of success. So I thought, why not? I'll try it out. Yeah. And it was, the process was interesting because I thought I would just share quotes from, uh, from the work. And no, I, but you actually have to like summarize. I saw yeah. the picture that you posted of all yeah, of the tweets that you were going to send that's out. It. Yeah, I did. A, I did a little cheat there because I posted all my tweets ahead of time through Instagram. <laughs> but then I then I posted them one at a time over the twelve hours. Actually, did the you can time your tweets. So I did yeah. scheduled my tweets. <laughs> but um, I, what I learned is this. I learned a little bit. I think this is important. Uh, information for poets is something we don't know. How do you, how do you, um, I've, I've submitted queries to publishers and that's fine. And, and to learn how to do that, some of the things for the pitch were, um, that I read, like they had a workshop, the organization was called DigiWriting. They, they're the ones who set up this Canlit pit thing. And, um, they, they had a workshop that was more applicable to fiction, but there were some things that made perfect sense. Uh, what's your, what is the work, who is the work intended for? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other uh, works um, in say by that publisher that might be relevant to your work and right. where you were. So I, I went through, first I had done, uh, had just written quotes from the, the book. And then I, then I realized that that was probably not the best idea. 
And I spent like three days. In fact, I was up like four in the morning working on this thing the day of, and I changed them completely. Like, and and I, I you have to get their attention as well. So I, I think it's a good exercise. I wasn't expecting to get any. Um, all a publisher had to do if they wanted to see your manuscript is hit like on Twitter. So like, how is that right. for easy, right? Just <laughs> yeah. So that and that was a good experience. I got I got a publisher liked it. So I actually spent um, a few days afterwards. Uh, um, writing the cover letter and preparing the manuscript and I had to mail it in. So that was, that was exciting for me hmm. to be part of that. So Neat. those were, those were the two quote unquote events I was a part of. This yeah. I went to um, the, the July poets and pancakes through urban legends, uh, spoken word. I didn't yeah. go to the August ones was out of town, but it was at flapjacks diner in right. Preston, which is a very interesting space. I don't think it's the best performance space, to be honest, but it was uh, interesting to go there. And the crowd there was really young. It's definitely a younger crowd at the at the at least the summer um, urban legends, urban legends reading. There was one uh, poet who I really liked. Um, their first name is Kay. I can't remember their last name, um, but they're really good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was it Kay Kassir? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they had their first poem was like uh, was very like. Um, memorable it was about a historical event and i forget the exact one so i don't want to say the wrong one by accident but it was uh mm-hmm. there was a lot of like facts in it as well as like good performance so it was really really interesting um did you go to anything this month uh, this past month chris have we even talked about that you thought was cool <laughs> no i think you talked about all the things that i've been doing <laughs> really? this month been much yeah a recluse that- this month did anyone go to the factory reading on July 22nd? I wanted to go. It was a really hot day. And I did not leave the apartment. <laughs> Who was reading? Stephen Brockwell? Is that right? Yeah, it was uh, Ashley Elizabeth Bess was reading right. Stephen oh, really? Brockwell and uh, Jane Carrison, who was actually being published by Bywords before. So, uh, hmm. oh, And wow. Ashley, is, I, I, Stephen, I know uh, he's a great reader and great writer. Ashley came to town a few other times and she's been terrific. So she has a new book out or her first book out. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I regret not being there for that, but I couldn't. Apparently it was, it was um, not like there weren't a ton of people there, but it was a good, it was a good, uh, it sounded like it was a good night. Mm-hmm. There was a bunch of stuff in Toronto that I had on my, um, my event list that I didn't go to, obviously, because I hadn't been to Toronto in a couple months. The Hot yeah. Sauce, Words Poetry, the Common Reading Series at Bell Jar Cafe, uh, words on stages and parenthetical mm-hmm. uh, had something. That's right. Something about um, um, Blur or something. There's also big on um, Blur. There was also big on Blur with the the EW reading. Oh, that was EW. Sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was all the same time. Facilitate had had something uh, about the East Coast. I think the East Coast writers there. Yeah, so lots of stuff in uh, in Toronto. Residence reading series is also in Montreal. Had something on August second. Uh, I mean, I've never gone to theirs yet. We talked about them. Yeah, last we talked time, about them last time. I would like to travel there to yeah, go. Yeah, you time. you should be a feature there. I'm sure. You yeah, should we should that. we should uh, we should ask them. Set that up, set podcast that. listeners. And That's outra- right. Outrageous season three started. Uh, That's last a week. Toronto. Yeah, another right. Toronto one. They came here. Uh, we talked about them last time. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Joseph. Yanni? Yanni, that's right. He's not an organizer no, of, he's not. Oh, he was just one of, of outrageous. Okay. He's the organizer of Facilitate. Facilitate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Elizabeth Burns and Jay something. I can't remember his last name. Sorry, Jay. Are the <laughs> organizers of outrageous. <laughs> right <in. laughs> July is a bit of a slower 
It is. Um, well, here in Ottawa, yeah. it's slow. Something that's going on uh, the, of the night that we're actually recording this is um, on uh, an event called What I Love About Being Queer and Trans. Yeah, I just saw that. At yeah. City Hall. It started, well, it's already, it's going to start it's happening right now. when we're, but I mean, that one sounded like it was going to be fun. It's it's kind of, uh, from what I understand, like it, the big Pride is starting this week, Happy Pride. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems like it's the only poetry event, but there are other literary events that are taking place as part of Pride. So, um, oh, are there? Yeah, there's a, uh, there's queer con, I think, which is uh, graphic hmm. comics and different things like that. Oh, and there's cool. also um, show your pride, which is taking it's a fiction event taking place at Stonewall. So uh, oh, cool! All on bywords.ca. I suppose we're supposed to wait for upcoming events, but there I mentioned them. There we go. <laughs> yeah, some of them. Okay, well, those are the recent events, and so that ends that segment. So our next section is the uh, recent news portion, which uh, Amanda is going to lead us through. I thought we would we could start with uh, fall poetry releases, and there are plenty of books, but there are also lots of chapbooks. So I, I sent out some emails to various uh, publishers of chapbooks, and this is what I got. I'm starting with my own press, Angel House Press. I asked myself what we're publishing this fall, and I found this out. <laughs> um, how American poet Howie Good is coming out. Is uh, we're coming out with his chapbook, Robots versus Kung Fu. Uh, which is he's a he's a very uh, fun and interesting writer, a minimalist that I like. Uh, not poetry, but through our transgressive prose imprint, imprint Devil House, we've got Misty Rainwater Lights creative nonfiction collection of Flash. That is no guns, no knives, no disco biscuits coming out uh, as disco well. Disco biscuits. Yes, you know those disco. Isn't that slang for MDMA or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is an this is a I, this is a fascinating. Um, a fascinating uh, chapbook, and also she has a lot of interesting stories uh, in general. So uh, she's a, she's an author that uh, you'd be well advised to collect. Above Ground Crest has a bunch of chapbooks coming out, but the ones that uh, were mentioned are by American poet Carrie Hunter, George Bowering, Jeffrey Young, John Barton, and uh, probably many more because Above Ground Press is very prolific. Fafour's Press, uh, run by Pearl Peary has Dalton Dirksen uh, publishing a chapbook no, no by, by him. Yeah, so that's cool. good. In Toronto, uh, Jim Johnstone's Anstruther Press has chapbooks from Jeff Latusik, Latus uh, Helium Ear. Laura Ritland, it's going to be called M M Marine Science. Andy Verboom Tower, which is already out. Mm -hmm. And Aidan Chafe, uh, which is Sharpest Tooth, is going to be out in October. London's Baseline Press has five new chapbooks, four of which are poetry. So there's John Wall Berger... Madeline Bassnett, Gabe Foreman, Mickey Fukuda, and then their first creative nonfiction chapbook is Notes on Photography by Emily McGibbon. Mm. And there's a launch in Toronto on October 6th and in London on October 7th. So that's it for uh, for chapbooks. That I, I've also got uh, some emails into more chapbook publishers, so we'll hopefully be hearing more about them. Is that all just in the next couple of like, months? That's all for so? the fall, yeah. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so I didn't realize there were so many chapbooks in central ontario coming out at once yeah well there, were, there are actually quite a lot and there's there's an if you want to know about um canada's uh, small press publishers there's a few different places to find out there's um there's a wikipedia page but there's also um brick books in their celebration of canadian poetry has a list of little interviews with uh, uh little mentions of um small press publishers so if you go to brick books and their celebration of canadian poetry you can find a lot in there as well mm-hmm uh, from the book's point of view, a really good site to consult is 49thshelf.com. And they've, um, these are, these are basically the, the, they're a lot, they list a lot of poetry books. Here's the ones that I'm particularly looking forward to. Local poetess Sandra Ridley is coming out with a book called Sylvia uh, by Book Thug in the fall. 
a poet we're um, we're uh, about to talk about more. Adele Barkley has a book is called "If I Were in a Cage, I'd Reach Out for You" by Nightwood, and uh, she's an interesting poet. We'll, uh, we'll, well we want to talk about well, her. Well, yeah, yeah, quickly. Um, yeah, I've been seeing her certain stuff around the past year or even just few months a lot lately, and uh, I just found out she's doing her PhD at UVic and has been doing it there since when I was doing my master's there, and I. Um, never ran into her, didn't realize there was anyone, too many people doing interesting things in Victoria at the time, but it's cool to know about it now that I'm not living there. Don't listen, Victoria. Bad mouth <laughs> Victoria. Um, yeah, so we have a poem of heroes right here from the Fiddlehead that is pretty cool. It's called Dear Sarah, I guess I or one? I can't yeah. tell if it's a Roman numeral or not. We'll have to ask Adele. We'll have to ask her. But I really liked part three, which I'll, which I'll read out for you. I'm having one more cigarette so I can pretend to split it with you. I won't clean the apartment, but I've left my bathing suit on the back porch to dry. Michael gave me the note you wrote on a coaster last night in Toronto. Bilingual sugar packets and domestic beer labels spill out of my purse on the M train. I'm going to eat the sugar every last grain. I really like how, and she does this throughout the poem, mentioning these people uh, by their first name. Uh, it's, it's interesting when people do that in their poems. It's, it gives out that personal, even though I don't have a clue who Michael is, it feels like I know who Michael is because mm -hmm. I read it in the poem. Mm -hmm. And Chris, you do this sometimes in your, your work as well. You'll mention like friends' names and I jokingly said, oh yeah, your friend, whatever. I, I know this person. Right, I yeah. don't actually know them. I know them through the poems, which is, which is kind of cool, I think. Yeah, I, I, I like to do that. Sometimes I have to change names yeah, depending on the, 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 context, the mature yeah. content of my poetry <laughs> requires me sometimes to change the names of those who might sue me. Mm -hmm. so, uh, or something else, <laughs> or kill me. No one wants to be sued over a poem. That'd no, if you're going to be sued, make it out, out of something that something. will pay money. Right. Actually. That's it. Uh, she's uh, the reviews editor for The Rusty Tooth, is that right? Interviews, interviews editor. editor. I believe. At least that's according to a bio I, I read about her in Plenitude magazine, which we're going to talk about if we have a chance to. Other books I'm also looking forward to, uh, Kingston uh, publisher of, Puddle of uh, Puddles of Sky, Michael E. Castiles, who comes to Ottawa for the Small Press Fair a lot, is coming out with The Last White House at the End of a Row of White Houses by Invisible mm -hmm. Publishing. Mm -hmm. Already the title is intriguing. Yeah. yeah. Daphne Marlatt, Reading Sveva by Talon Books. She's coming out with that. Uh, Lisa Robertson, Three Summers, Three Summers, Coach House Books. So that's something else. Uh, Invisible Publishing is re-releasing Zoe Wittal's The Emily Valentine Poems, which was done originally by Snare Books, which I have, and it's quite wonderful. So those are the so those are the uh, poems that are uh, books and chapbooks that are coming out this time around. Yeah, those all sound pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. So the next thing I have as part of our uh, the Internet Roundup is. Um, Another really excellent podcast that just began, uh, started on the Rusty Took, it's called On the Line, and it's a new podcast about ho poetry hosted by Toronto writer Kate Sutherland, and the format is really great. What they do is they, she and a few other writers take one book, and they, they basically, they all get a chance to talk about the book, so they get a chance to work on preparing and, you know, just going through the book and having a discussion. So episode one is on Ocean Vong's book, Night Sky with Exit Wounds. And so the writers that, that she was talking to this time around were Joanne Gunther and Soraya Pirbay and Randy Ryan. And uh, so what, one of the things they talked about was the erasure of queer eroticism in the publishing of one of the poems in The New Yorker, which was interesting. So that's, I think it was in The New Yorker. And um, she, they talked about how long, they, in the interview, they talked about how long he lives with the poem before putting it down on paper. He says that love is the ability to be present even in the most difficult moments, even in danger. 
So, uh, and he does things like he repeats to see how meaning changes with the placement of the same word. I just wanted to give a flavor of the type of things they talked about in the interview. You should really, I'll, I'll be putting the link up on the, on the Angel House Press site uh, with, with our podcast, so you can, you can do that. Another interesting um, uh, thing is uh, a magazine called Plenitude Magazine, which I've been following uh, for some time. It's a magazine that promotes and showcases literature and film by LBGTQI writers and filmmakers full of interesting stuff, reviews, news, articles on writing, something called the Query Project, where different writers talk about other, they, they talk about other writers that they, whose works they admire. They also have an emerging writers mentorship program, which is interesting. Uh, a couple of really interesting poems that I, I really like. There's a writer named Kei Cheng Tom, and Kei Cheng Tom is also in um, uh, Matrix Trans issue, which is another, uh, it's a fantastic uh, issue. Uh, Your white cisgender boyfriend cannot save you from the end of the world. That was a, mm. a great poem. It actually combines, it combines the apocalypse with, um, with, um, with uh, sort of issues of uh, tra trans issues and stuff like that. It's really good. Actually, uh, maybe just a little bit of this, this poem. He will never be fluent in the secret language of your scars. When all the city lights go out in the wake of the apocalypse, it is you who will have to lead him to safety at night by following the diamond map of the Milky Way. So uh, mm. I really like uh, those, those poems. And then mm. uh, Adele Barkley has a poem in there, Sour Beer for Bitter Hearts. Uh, Kay Gabriel collaboration, Mitchell King Starfag. I mean, I re I highly recommend uh, going to Plenitude and uh, and uh, seeing the work. And that's uh, that's it for Internet Roundup. Current reads. What did you read last, Chris? <laughs> Put me on the spot was like just putting me first, huh? Um, what did I read last? I think. I think the last book I finished was it doesn't matter if you finish Vivek Shreya's "Even This Page Is White." Ah, uh, yes, um, which was really great, a really interesting read. Since then, I think I've picked up a couple of different books. So I've picked up something by Adrian Rich that I've oh, yeah. kind of tried to read. I've been reading a little bit of William Hawkins' collected poems from Shodier Press since he passed away, and I was like, oh, I'm going to revisit that. Uh, decide to read him once he's dead yeah i think that's a good time to <laughs> sure he really appreciates it yeah <laughs> i was just recently in the ottawa room at the <clears throat> ottawa public library which is a, a special room just for ottawa stuff and they had a bunch of his chat books and stuff in there so oh cool you should go in there and see they like, had the one he did with roy mcskimming i think it is about yeah, the sheriff they shoot low, horses, shoot horses, low, Sheriff. They? They're riding sh Shetland ponies. That's it. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good yeah, that's, you remember that title? That's fantastic. I don't know. I just really like it. <laughs> yeah. What have you been reading lately, Amanda? Lots of stuff. I've been <clears throat> I've been uh, dog earing Arc's uh, summer issue. So uh, oh. I have lots of dog ears. It's a very juicy issue. Look at that. Uh, look it at is. The, see, can everyone see the dog ears? Yes. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I I I was a little bit daunted about at first was the essay. Um, by Lisa Robertson, um, it's it's about uh, Emile Benveni's uh, notes on Baudelaire's poems. Uh, I was a little bit daunted by it, but I've been going through it, and it's, I I highly recommend it, uh, especially if you're a a poet who's struggling with the concept of meaning. I think it had an interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, now she's right. Um, she uh, the the Baudelaire, the notes on Baudelaire's poems by Benveni. She's has some sample translations in there that she's written. Uh, what's interesting is the idea that. Um, uh, a meaning 
in this, at least with Baudelaire's poems, and I think some of general comments are, is that it can be created within the poem. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to refer to an external reality. And I actually found that um, heartening <laughs> to, to hear that. So there's a lot of interesting things in there as well. There are other great, there are some great poems in there. I really like Jessica Bebenex. This is the morning of a meaningless sparrow at the window. There were a couple of poets who had very specific stuff related to medical stuff, and I'm very drawn to that. Uh, yeah. There was, um, what else did I dog ear? Claire Kelly's Renters in Pajamas. I, I really, really like I liked her opening, Embrace Stout Cats in Discontented Huddles While Kids Sleepily Lean Against Fleece-Covered Legs. Mm -hmm. Perfect from sound point of view. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. I am... Just I, by the look of it, too, it looks like they're publishing yeah. a lot of younger poets um, in this issue. I haven't uh, I haven't had the chance to to read it yet, but there's a lot of. Uh, I haven't checked their IDs. I don't. <laughs> well, I just well, I just know who they are, right? So that's how I know that they're they're um, a lot of people like in their twenties are are in here, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good issue. Um, I mean, I I I, well, I always enjoy reading ARC, so uh, it's good. Another yeah. magazine that I've been reading that I mentioned is Matrix Magazine's Translit issue, which is mm. it's quite good. I mean, I haven't really I haven't gotten into it too much yet. I've only just started to read it, but there's a poem here called by Esther McPhee called "Why I Love Boy Bands," and here's something she does. She says, um, um, she says uh, because I've got this thing about kicking shame right out, or maybe it has something to do with gender. Like what doesn't? Like my gender identity might be boy band if I had the choice, which apparently I don't. I love that idea. My gender identity might be boy band. It's terrific. Yeah, if uh, I had the choice, I'd yeah, choose boy band too. Yeah, I maybe know. girl band. Yeah, I don't actually. know. Like, any kind of band. I always. <laughs> I, my choice is a uh, uh, sleazy Sarasota lounge singer, but that's, <laughs> that's different. That's a completely different thing. So Kay Cheng Tom has another uh, poem. We just saw Kay's work in uh, Plenitude. Sometimes my body is a slutty bitch bad girl, and again. <laughs> It, there's an accumulation of wonder, feisty words. So it's a really good, it's a highly, uh, it's an excellent issue. Kay Gabriel also has a collaboration poem in here too. So, and there's a, some some prose poems by uh, Tannis Franco, a prose series called Flesh of My Flesh. There's lots of other stuff in here. It's a great issue. You should pick it up. Book-wise, I, I, I'm always reading lots of books at the same time. I, I am reading Night Sky with Exit Wounds by Ocean Vong, American, Vietnamese American it's a really great, and the book is by Copper Cannon Press. It's a really uh, wonderful book. The High Boon in particular we've talked about. I'm reading Soraya, Soraya Pierre Bay's uh, book called Tell Poems for Girlhood, which are about uh, uh, Rena Virk's uh, murder and the trial. Uh, she, she was murdered on November 14, 1997 in Sandwich, British Columbia. Hmm. And at least eight people, young people participated in the in initial assault and uh, most of them were were young women or teenage girls, I guess, and also uh, it was uh, race, uh, racially uh, racism uh, was. Uh, right. It's a it's a it's a beautiful book. It's very poignant. It's very difficult in some ways, but she's. I feel like it's a uh, it's um, an elegy, and so I I highly recommend that hmm. book as well. She's going to be at Tree at some point in the Is fall. She, I'm glad to hear that. I, I hope can't wait I, to hear. I'm probably going to have. I won't be able to miss that one. And then uh, Adrian Rich's Midnight Salvage is another excellent uh, book that I'm reading right now. So that's that's it for current reads. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, shall we move on to our last segment? We shall after a quick break. Yeah. 
right, and now to our last segment, which is uh, upcoming events. We were planning on doing a panel discussion about um, politics and poetry, but we'll save that for next time because we've been talking at length already. Um, but that will be a discussion at some point, I am sure. We'll get to it. So there's there's quite a few things coming up in the next yep. 30 days or so. Um, looks like you have a printed out list, so maybe I'll let you do that, and then I'll supplement with my digital list. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll do... Uh... Will be bitextual. Today. Yeah, yeah, bitextual. <laughs> there you go. On Wednesday, August seventeenth, Sawdust will feature Francis Boyle and Jason Christie, and there's also a workshop by Francis earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about Sawdust uh, a few times already today. It's a it's yeah. a good series for for Ottawa. It's yeah, it's uh, run by uh, three uh, excellent writers: Jennifer Peterson, Liam Burke, and Natalie Hanna. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, August 21st, there's something called Framework, Words on the Land, which is uh, near Perth, and it's uh, organized, I, guess, I think the Ottawa International Writers Festival organizing, it's $20, so uh, Natalie Ghent, Catherine Graham, John K. Grant, Helen Humphreys, Jonathan Kaplansky, Monty Reed, Sandra Ridley, John Steffler, Alyssa York, and the information is at writersfestival.org. You can always go to bywords.ca for this and all other events. August 25th, House of Paints, OG 500 Poetry Slam. Mm. And House of Paint is happening all that week as well. All kinds of things, hip-hop, graffiti, That's painting. That's cool. I didn't know yeah. about that. Oh, well, there you go. You can, you can find out I'll about it. I'll add that to my list. From, also on the 25th, not a poetry event, but the inaugural reading of Devil House Live, which I am organizing and hosting, will be Coffee with a Lesbian, a live reading of a stage play by Emily Ramsey with music by Marie-José Houle. So we're going to have five actors reading this. At, mm. It's going to take place at Venus Envy. It's a free event. And then on August 29th, Monday, August 29th, Poetic Attentions. The theme is far out. Poetic Attentions, they always have a theme. So when you come to read, you, you can... Um, read on that theme and it's it's a run by oh i can't remember her name tia but uh anyway she uh it's uh at chez lucien it doesn't start till 10 o'clock so if you're a night owl that's mm. a place to be august 31st uh, is the inwards reading which you aaron can tell us more about sure so it's our first reading with uh the new editors of which i am one and um <laughs> instead of because sometimes, like, August readings, we're not really sure about attendance. We don't want to bring someone in from out of town and have poor attendance. So what we're going to do is just have an open mic, and then the the five new editors are all going to read for a few minutes and just kind of have a low-key a low key type of event. Um, and then when we start back in September, we'll have, like, a, a much larger um, event with uh, traveling writers and such. Traveling writers. It sounds a little bit like a traveling circus. This is so funny. It could be like one. <laughs> we'll have to see in September. <laughs> All right. We'll see. Uh, also on August 31st, Urban Legends has an event called Tell Me a Story Slam, which is a benefit for Chio. So that's another thing. September 2nd, fa- Factory Reading Series features Meredith Quartermain, Jenna Jarvis, and Monty Reed. And also uh, through, I guess, Above Ground Press on September 10th is having their 23rd anniversary with Stephanie Bolster, Braden Bolia, and Sean Braun. Braun. And uh, they're going to have something in Toronto on August 25th as well. So that's all the events that I have written down. Speaking about Toronto, on August 16th, there's the thing about being a live closing party. And Katrina Wright's going to be reading and Vincent Claristro. And one more. (laughs) (laughs) thing of only remembering two of the people. Um, We mentioned Sawdust. Um, there's going to be, oh, four poets in Megatron, Metatron, not Megatron, <laughs> Megatron, Metatron are having, uh, doing a reading on August 20th, um, in Toronto, but um, Megatron's poetry, you should really check out. Megatron also has great poetry. Yeah. Um, the readers are actually Ophime, 
Hoffheim, Raleigh Pemberton, Adam Zachary, Greg Zorko, Andrea Werhun, and Ali Pinkney. Um, the four poets in Metatron are both uh, interesting things that, um, if you're not aware of them, uh, please check them out. Uh, facilitates having an event in Toronto as well about what's so funny at No One Writes to the Colonel. Um, you mentioned the, uh, the poetry slam. I actually did have that on my event list, so I lied. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, Pivots starting in Toronto again, their 2016 season on September 7th, and at the Steady Cafe and Bar on Blur Street. And, yeah, they're having um, Nathan Whitlock, but he's, he's, a, he's a novelist. Um, Jacqueline Valencia. Pivots, pretty good series. If you're in the Toronto area, I would definitely recommend checking it out. And I think we'll stop there because then I, I think we'll have another podcast in the first week of September area. So then we'll yeah. talk about the events following that. But um, it's definitely that getting point. busier. It's definitely getting yeah. busier, uh, which is all season starting. Yeah. Good thing. Yeah. And uh, that's about it. You can find out more about the auto events by going to bywords.ca. For Toronto, I suggest you subscribe to the Patchy Squirrel Listserv. So uh, we'll mm. try to get the link up for that as well. That's a good idea. Yeah, and uh, thanks everyone so much for listening. Thanks to Chris Johnson for being our guest today. Thank you, A.M. Kozak and Amanda Earl for having me. Yeah, and answering all our questions. And yeah, we're going to have another podcast, like I said, another three or four weeks. And if you have any event idea, events that you know of that you'd like to promote or things that you think would be cool for us to know about, uh, you can always uh, let us know. Invite me over Facebook or whatever, and then we'll, we'll be aware of them. That's it. Or, or just you can email me, amanda at angelhousepress.com. The other thing, too, is thank you to all the people who uh, retweeted the first episode and uh, who also gave uh, us lots of, uh, said lots of good things. At some point later on in the line, we'll, we'll get the podcast up on iTunes. Our, that requires a technical expertise from our, from our engineer and my husband, Charles. There you go. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, and please keep, uh, yeah retweeting is, is 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 wonderful really happy about that that's it there was something else but it doesn't oh. matter it doesn't matter well It'll oh yeah oh yes and if you have any title ideas we will yeah. hopefully have a podcast title <laughs> the next time our our byline is exploring the poetry scene in central canada at this point of course we're not just limited to that but uh, that's generally what we're we find ourselves talking about a lot All right. thank you very much bye bye bye, bye.